I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin our study of the Gospel of Mark. The idea is that to take a long, hard look at Jesus, that we might be stirred up to love Him more. Uh, to, to know Christ is to love Christ because He is most worthy of our love. And so I want to uh, spend some months looking at the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest Gospel, and uh, it's got a lot packed into it. And so hopefully our hearts can be stirred up with this good news of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done for sinners like us. And I think that uh, it will be an opportunity for us to increase our love for the Lord Jesus Christ as we encounter His love in the pages of this Gospel. We're going to be looking at first... 15 verses today. I've expanded it just a little bit from what it says in the bulletin. But hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. May God bless the reading and hearing of His Holy Word and write its truths upon our hearts today. Now, many people look to election years as a time for a new beginning. There's a lot of back and forth, especially if you're on Facebook or any of the social media sites. Uh, Everybody's ready to share their opinion of our president or candidates, and uh, it seems very... Uh, polar opposite when you look at the, the two camps. There are those who oppose the president winning a re-election because they are desirous of a new regime in Washington. They want a, a fresh start. Uh, in the last election, President Obama campaigned on the idea of a, of a new hope. And that struck a chord with many people who wanted things to change. No matter what side you come down on, most people welcome a new leader with hope for a brighter future. Many think, well, if we just get a a new leader in there, maybe he can fix all that's wrong with our country. Now, in a way, 
The, the first verse of Mark's gospel is a signal of a regime change. The first words are the beginning of the gospel. Now, when I say the term gospel, most everybody here will probably think of the four books of the Bible that describe for us the life of Jesus and his teaching, uh, specifically telling us how Jesus died for sinful people. The term gospel means good news, and of course that is certainly good news. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us all, this, uh, all about Jesus coming to earth and dying in the place of sinners. However, when Mark wrote this book, which is probably the earliest of the gospel books, that term gospel did not refer to a book telling the story of the life and teaching of Jesus. The term meant good news, but it was most closely associated with the worship of the Roman Caesars. So when uh, uh, an heir to the, to the throne, uh, to the Roman throne was born, uh, it was gospel. It was announced. It was a good news because they viewed the Roman Caesars as deity. And so whenever uh, the heir was born or uh, came to the throne or won a battle, these glad tidings or good news were announced. These tidings of, of good news were announced. Now, tradition tells us that Mark was writing to the Romans. So he's borrowing uh, the language of his day. When a new Caesar came to power, it was good news because the people had hopes for a brighter future. Well, you can understand because we kind of have the same ideas today. They sound a lot like us. Mark is telling us that there's a new ruler coming to the throne, a new king. It's a new day, a new beginning, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I want to describe for you what Mark tells us. He, he tells us two things, at least two things. There's so much packed in here in these 15 verses. But he's going to tell us who this new ruler is and what his platform is. When you, when you uh, look at the election, you know, you identify the candidates and uh, you understand what they stand for. At least you, you try to discern it, if it's actually possible at all to figure out what these people are talking about who are running for president. But here we have Jesus Christ. We know who he is exactly because Mark tells us, and we know exactly what he came to do because it's indicated in what happens here in these first few verses. Now, who is this new ruler that's come into power? He's not just a Roman Caesar. Uh, he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark tells us. Now, first of all, his name is Jesus. Now, in those days, uh, you probably understand that people were most often named for a parent, uh, especially the male sons were named for their fathers. But Jesus was named in a different manner. An angel appeared to Joseph and said, you are going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And that's what the word Jesus means. It means Yahweh saves. It's the Greek form of the word Yeshua or Joshua. So Joshua and Jesus are the same name. Joshua is the Hebrew version. Jesus is the Greek version. So it, it means Yahweh saves. And that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. God in the flesh come to earth, to save. So he's got a very special name. Now, Jesus Christ 
Christ is not his, his last name like Tim Horn. Uh, Christ is, of course, Horn doesn't have any of the significance that Christ does. But the term Christ is a title. It means anointed one. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. So Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king that the Old Testament talks about time and again, who will, who will rule just as David did, except in a greater way. This Messiah, a man of God's choice, appointed to accomplish a redemptive purpose for God's people, uh, judgment on the foes of, of God and his people, he is given dominion over the nations. Remember we read that in Psalm 2. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. So he's given dominion over the nations. And in all of his activities, the real agent is Yahweh himself. God himself. And Yahweh is God's proper name. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses sees the burning bush, God tells him, I want you to go and, and uh, free my people from bondage. And Moses says, now if I go and say... To Pharaoh, let my people go. Whom should I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am. Yahweh sent me, sent you. I am is his name. Yahweh is his proper name. So here is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised king, Yahweh himself. And we even have a herald announcing uh, a, the king's interest. You know, in those days when a king would enter... Uh, there was always a herald announcing his presence. When I was in the first grade, I was in a school play, and I was the herald. I, I got to announce the king's presence. Every time the king came on stage, I got up and I had some lines to say. And they all rhymed. And I remember, I, I was going to try to quote some for you, but I don't want to go there at all. But I was the herald, and, uh, and it was a play set in medieval times. So every time the king would come on stage, I would have some lines to say to announce his presence. John the Baptist serves that purpose. He's announcing the coming of this great king. And Mark has it pointed out to us because it's not like the Roman kings, Roman Caesars who came into power and how they were heralded. Here is a, a very strange man, John the Baptist, wearing his strange clothes, baptizing people in, the, in a dirty Jordan River. And here's Jesus coming up, uh, whom many people would have known. A very common person who came from a poor family, from the wrong side of the tracks. So Mark is saying, just like a king, Jesus Christ is coming and he's being heralded by John the Baptist. So this new ruler is Jesus, he is Christ, and he says he's the Son of God, which is another way of saying that Jesus is God. He is divine. He's called the Son of God. There's a prophecy there that's quoted from Isaiah chapter 40, prepare the way of the Lord. And the, the, the prophecy is being applied to Jesus coming and John saying, be prepared. But if you look at the prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3, the word Lord is the word Yahweh. Prepare the way for Yahweh. So John the Baptist is announcing that, yes, this one who's coming is indeed God himself. So he had the Isaiah prophecy pointing to his to his divinity. John the Baptist testifies to his divinity in verses 7 and 8. After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, when uh, you remember when Sodom Hussein fell and uh, there were news reports and you saw a lot of the, 
the people in that land taking off their shoe and smacking the photos or the or that big statue of Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein that had been toppled over. They would hit it with their shoe. It was a great insult because you just didn't mess with people's shoes or feet. To, to, to throw a shoe at someone or to hit them with your shoe was the highest insult. You remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? The, the disciples were aghast because, because uh, proper, normal people didn't do that kind of thing. Well, here's John the Baptist saying, I am not even worthy to touch this man's shoes. He's so great. And that's just a, a form of, of uh, John the Baptist saying, look, he is very, very great. And he's using this imagery to communicate that to his people that he's speaking to. So John the Baptist is testifying to his greatness and his divinity. And then God the Father himself, when Jesus is baptized, this voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus Christ the Son of God, this is the great King who's come to earth. Now, what is his platform? What has he come to do? We have a couple of indications of that. One, in his baptism, and two, in his temptation in the desert. Now, first of all, in his baptism, uh, Jesus, it says here in verse 10, that he came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. It says there that the heavens are torn open. The word open is not actually there. It, it's, it's the heavens are torn or split, ripped apart. A big hole is ripped in the sky. And God is coming down. In a way, we could say all heaven is breaking loose. The barriers are torn down and torn open, and God is now in our midst, and He's on the loose. You better watch out. The great King has come. And that's what's being indicated here. The sky is ripped open and the, the berries are torn down. It's an answer to the prayer that Isaiah uh, quoted in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And that's exactly what's happening here. God has come down. He has torn open the heavens and He has come down to earth. And you see here that the Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus now, only one other place in the Scriptures is the Spirit compared to a dove. And that is in the, actually, in the Aramaic translation. Now, I'm not an Aramaic scholar, so I'm not trying to be a big shot here. But I read this in a commentary, and I thought it was really great. But in the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew uh, of Genesis 1 and 2, 1 verse 2, where it says in our translation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word hovering means fluttering or brooding. And the imagery there is very much that of a bird, uh, of a mother bird standing over its nest, taking care of its chicks. And so the Spirit was hovering over the earth, uh, cherishing it and caring for it and forming it from its shapeless mass into what it became, this beautiful Eden, perfect land, perfect earth that God gave us. But in the Aramaic translation, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering like a dove over the face of the waters. The translators wanted to communicate more exactly what that word meant. So Genesis uh, is the only place where you have 
Spirit, like a dove, with the Father and the Son, because Jesus Christ is the agent of creation. All three are present at creation. God the Father, God the Spirit, and the Word, God's Word, Jesus Christ, as John 1 talks about Him. And then again, you have all three here present at the baptism of Jesus. The Father speaking, the Son, the Son there being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Now, Genesis tells us of paradise lost. You know, we have the great news that God has, has uh, created the world, but very soon, before you get to chapter 3, it's all messed up. God has given us this wonderful world. Eden was perfect. Uh, it was a, a lush, absolutely great place. There were no wild animals. Adam named the animals. Everyone lived in peace. God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and there was fellowship between man and, and God. And all that was lost when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. The world became broken. A curse was placed on the land. Now the garden grew thorns and thistles. Now the animals were wild. And now humanity was broken and messed up. Now we have this baptism of Jesus. Genesis tells us of paradise lost. Here in Mark we have paradise restored. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uniting together to bring us a new creation, a new beginning. Uh, the Spirit, the Father, the Son, all uniting together to come and recreate humanity and bring us in a new heaven and new earth. And it's beginning here. Again, that word beginning, the beginning of the gospel points us back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. Now in this beginning, Jesus Christ is coming to, to make us new creatures in Christ and to usher in a new heaven's and new earth. That's his platform. That's what God's doing in this world. And that's what gives us hope for a future. You know, we can place our hope in the things of this world, but this world is a broken place and, and it's temporary. It's not lasting. And we can never be fully satisfied by the things of this world. And when we look for this, the created things to give us hope and satisfaction, we will be sorely disappointed. It may give us that for a short time, but it won't last. What Jesus is promising is a new creation, a new heavens and new earth, a great future where everything is as it was originally meant to be. It will be restored through Jesus Christ. That's his platform. And that's what the baptism, at least one of the things that the baptism points us to. Now, the first thing as Jesus breaks in on earth, he starts his ministry uh, the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. What is the first thing that Jesus goes to do? He's going to bring in this new creation. And then it says, immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. The great thing is Jesus gets right to work. You know, we always have after a president takes over after a hundred days you know they have a speech and everybody kind of evaluates the first hundred days well this is jesus's first 40 days of ministry and where does he spend it out in the wild out in the broken creation the desert where you know the world was meant to be this beautiful garden of eden but here we are out in the desert with the wild animals very symbolic of the brokenness of this world and jesus is doing battle with the great enemy with evil. He is being tempted. He is fulfilling righteousness in our place. 
He is standing firm against the devil for us. So his first 40 days, he accomplishes a great deal. What a great king this is, that he would come to earth and not be served, but immediately go out in the desert to serve us. And what he's doing there is fulfilling that righteousness, uh, resisting the, the, the temptations that we all face. And he's overcoming the devil as he resists those temptations. Satan, we know more from the other gospel writers of what Satan was trying to do there. Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to deviate from the plan. He's saying, look, you can worship me. I'll give you all this. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, you know, turn these bread, these stones into bread. Uh, giving all these temptations to Jesus to turn the focus from his work to himself or to turn his focus away from his service to his heavenly father and serve Satan. So Satan is trying to get him off path that he's that he's come to accomplish, but he will not be deviated from the path he's, he's taken upon himself. He has gone into the very fire itself in our behalf, in our place. He goes out into the broken world and he takes on Satan. So he's a great king and he's done this great thing for us. How should we respond? He tells us, in verse 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. It's exactly what John was telling the people to, as they prepared themselves for the coming of the king to repent and believe. To look at yourself and recognize that, you know, I'm broken. I need a new beginning. I need a king to rule over me. I need help. And that's the first step in repentance is to recognizing, recognizing that you are broken, that things aren't as they should be, that you have fallen far short of the glory of God, of his standard of perfection, that you, you can't measure up and be acceptable based upon your good works. Recognizing that is a great first step. You know, a lot of people don't like to hear that. They don't, want to, they don't want to know about their brokenness and sin. But it's the only way that you'll ever experience God's grace. It's like someone who doesn't want to know that they're sick. You know, there's something very wrong, but they won't go to the doctor because they won't admit it. Or it's like me, you know, uh, I never like to admit that I'm lost when I'm driving down the road and I have a terrible sense of direction and I'm always lost. Uh, I, I get lost walking from the manse to the church. Every day I've got such a bad sense of direction. But, you know, it's the worst thing. that You know, I hate admitting that I'm lost. But you're never going to find your way unless you, you admit you're lost and find someone who can point you in the right direction. And that's Jesus Christ. He's come, and when we see ourselves as we truly are, broken and in need of a Savior, of a Messiah, when we, can, when we embrace that fact... Then we experience His grace, His love, and His mercy, His forgiveness. We can have a new beginning. We have this great King who gives us a, a, a sure, firm hope for the future, much more than any Caesar or a president can give us. Only true hope can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So repent and believe. Trust in Him. Look to this King and His platform, His plan for the ages to be what you desire. 
and what you set your hope upon. Not on the things of this world, but the things that he's planning in the future. It means, it means delayed gratification, and it's something that we don't like. You know, we want it now. We want our Big Mac, you know, as fast as possible. We want uh, the food, the, the comforts, and, and all the things. We want it now. But Jesus is saying, wait, it's coming. Look forward to it. Set your hope on it. It's going to happen, but it's going to take a little while. It could be tomorrow. It could be in just a few moments. It could be 100 years from now. We don't know, but we need to be ready and prepared for that day and look forward to that day because it's certainly coming. He's coming. He's come the first time and he's coming again and he's going to uh, give us all that new and fresh beginning. Let's pray together.